You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I lived most of my entire life in northern parts of the country. Um, so I was not in any way, shape, or form a southern boy. I, there's nothing southern about me growing up. And um, not too long after I became the campus pastor here, there was a, a death of an extended family member of someone associated with our campus. In other words, this was not their church. I was not their pastor. So there was, it was a distant type of thing. But because it was, I had kind of a somewhat relationship with this one individual, I was wrestling with this idea, should I go to the funeral? And I remember talking with Paul Glenn and, um, about it. And, and I, this is not a quote, but he said something to the fact that uh, funerals are a big deal in the South. Everyone shows up for a funeral. And... Um, so I went, and I was amazed at the number of people. And this was not, like, you know, the mayor of the city or, you know, some big prominent business person or politician. This was what we would deem to be an inconspicuous, unnoteworthy, you know, um, individual. And yet, literally, there were just, it, the place was filling. There was people everywhere. And so that day, that day I learned that here in the South... Showing up for a funeral is a very big deal. Now, in a similar way, I've come to realize that the Bible treats this issue of idolatry as a really big deal. Now, it's literally, of the Ten Commandments, it's literally the first two. The first two deal with this issue of idolatry. You shall have no other gods before me, as number one. Number two is you shall not make for yourself an image. It actually kind of expands on that idea, but they're a little further on in that same chapter, um, we're told that whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord must be destroyed. Like, holy smokes, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty intense um, statement there. And, and, and there's a, we might think, you know, given our day, well, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Well, actually, it's not. If you want harsh, look, hear what Deuteronomy says, Deuteronomy chapter 13. It says, if your very own brother or your son or daughter or the wife you love or the closest friend, if any of them secretly entices you saying, let's go and worship other gods, do not give in to them or even listen to them. Show them no pity. Now hear this. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death, and then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So yeah, idolatry is a pretty big deal in the Old Testament. Now, we tend to downplay the significance of idolatry today because, well, um, we don't worship idols in the 21st century. You know, at least not here in developed, you know, countries, high education. I mean, that's just not something we do. And that at least tends to be how most of us think. And I think what I'd like to do this morning is just challenge that thought. That it might not look the same, but I do think this idea of idolatry is still a part of our lives today. Idolatry is not just about bowing before statues we've created. Nor is it an issue of the past. Idolatry is a present crisis in our lives and in our lands. It's here and now, it's today. Now, 
the series that we're, we're, we're um, embarking on is actually influenced by a book written by um, a guy named Kyle Eidelman. His, um, the name of the book is called Gods at War. Fascinating book. Um, he makes this comment. He makes this statement in the book. He says, idolatry isn't an issue. It's the issue. Idolatry isn't just one of many sins. Rather, it is the great sin that all other sins come from. If you start scratching at whatever struggle you're dealing with, eventually you'll find that underneath it is a false God. Now, I tend to agree with them. In fact, I believe you can make the case that you can't break the other nine commandments until you break this one. That underneath all of most of the things that we struggle with is this issue of idolatry. Something else has become prominent in our lives beyond the significance of God. Now, obviously, um, we're looking at idolatry as more than just kneeling before a carved image. That's not, we need to, we, we don't, we, we, it doesn't work if we have that as our only image of what it means to, to, to be um, guilty of idolatry. As a Christ follower, idolatry is anything, anything that becomes godlike in your life. So within this context, a god is what we sacrifice for and what we pursue. It's anything we elevate above the pursuit and priority of the one true God. Now hear this. Anything can become an idol once it becomes a substitute for God in our life. The pursuit of our dream house. Promotion at work. Acceptance by others. Comfort. Peace. Now, notice that none of these things are wrong in and of themselves. Those are fine. Those are very healthy, wholesome aspirations. But if we're not careful, these two can become the most important part of our lives, trying to attain that goal, trying to reach that place in life. And when that becomes predominant, it can become a God in our life. And the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that God is not happy being anything other than number one in our life. So, okay, another recording it. That's why they want uh, uh, need to have the microphone. So I had lost my train of thought. Okay, um, the Bible tells us a lot about this, and so the verse, we, the, the the passage, Exodus twenty, that actually has the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, he goes on to say this um, in chapter twenty: "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me." You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Notice what God's saying here. I'm the one who saved you. It's me. 
I'm the one who's this, it's almost get this sense of, you know, you owe me. You know, you're indebted to me. I'm the one that freed you from slavery. And notice as well, he says three times, he says, you shall. He doesn't say, you know, I suggest, or, you know, if you're in the mood, or if it's convenient. Um, He says, you shall do this. This is a command he's given us. So clearly one thing we can say from this passage then is that the God who loves us demands our allegiance for our good. Now, don't get hung up on the part that says he's going to punish us to the third and fourth generations. That's pretty harsh. And, and that's a whole other conversation. And there's a whole other ideas behind that. Focus on the other part that comes right after that, verse 6. He's going to bless showing love to the thousand generations of those who love him. Again, this is for our benefit. This is for our benefit, for our good. What's clear with no room for misunderstanding is this. We are to worship the creator, not the created. Now, some might point out that this was the period of the Old Testament. And that now, you know, we're under the new covenant. You know, when Jesus came, we had the, the, the New Testament and, and the new covenant and things changed. And God's grace and love and mercy became predominant um, as far as God's um, action towards us. And my response would be, well there's some truth to that statement. It's still the fact that we can't escape the fact that Jesus himself actually affirmed the priority of having God as the sole point or the sole allegiance to God in our life. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus has been debating with the Pharisees, discussing and they're asking him questions and they're going back and forth. And then it says in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, teacher of the law, some of you may already know the fact that the law, the, the law that they're talking about is not the judicial law we're talking about. It's talking about the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the, the religious law. Israel was governed by a theocracy. It was writ- governed by um, the religion where the, the governing rulers of the day. And it was the basis for all of Israelite life. The basis for all life was governed by this Mosaic law. A teacher of the law then would have been one of the most educated people in the community and also probably one of the most respected and revered. In society, they had a position, a status. And so he and Jesus get into this conversation. And when it came to the primacy of worshiping the one true God, Jesus was in agreement with the religious leader. Probably one of the only things that they actually agreed upon together. Um, but this is one they agreed on. The love of God was primary, and there was no um, question as to the centrality that needed to be in our life. So what we learned from this is that the most important commandment addresses who we worship. Who we worship. It's the Lord God. Notice the extent to which we are to love God. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Pretty extensive, isn't it? Pretty comprehensive. So we're directed to love God with all of our being. And that's what's very clear in Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Now, in the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a little deeper dive into some specific idols that may creep up or that might be present in our lives. Today is really about more establishing some context, giving a broader sense of how do we understand this idea. And I want to re- restate something I, I said earlier, because I think it is, uh, it is important for us to gather or to, to, to um, come to terms with, is that anything Anything can become an idol if it becomes a substitute for God in our lives. If something becomes a substitute for God in our lives, it's become an idol. And as I've already suggested, what if idolatry for us today is not about worshiping carved images? What if we do our kneeling and bowing, what if we do that with our imaginations or our checkbooks or our search engines or our time? What if those have become our idols? And what if those are the things that which we give most of our time? And as I've already pointed out, it's not necessarily the actions themselves that are the problem. The actions are merely a reflection of who and what is in our heart. And that's really the first thought I want to leave us with here today, is that your heart is a battleground for the gods. Your heart is a battleground of the gods. There is a never-ending struggle for who and what will reign in your heart. And subsequently, for who or what we will worship. Make no mistake, when it comes to worship, there are no atheists. Everyone worship something, if not someone. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Some translations say, everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. Your heart defines and determines who you are, how you think, and what you do. Because everything flows from it, your heart is the front line for the gods at war over your life. Your heart is the battleground of the gods. So that's my first thought. My second thought is this. What you're searching for and chasing after reveals the God that is winning the war of your heart. Um, Some of you who are familiar with psychology and counseling might understand the phrase behavior modification. Essentially, it's a popular way of just saying if you change certain behaviors, it'll change change your life. It'll have a different outcome. Um, What's behind it is that if... If we want to remove certain things from our life, there are certain things that are unhealthy or undesirable, or we want to add things, just wishing it is going to happen, we have to change our behavior. So by modifying our behavior, then we can, we can um, have a different result. For instance, if, you, if someone says, you know, I have a problem with anger, behavior modification would say, count to 10 before you say or do anything. Okay. You know, so you, you have that. Or if, if weight is an issue, the idea is don't buy unhealthy food. Just don't have it in the house. Or don't shop on an empty stomach. There are certain behavioral things you can do that would help you achieve that outcome that you're wanting. If debt is an issue, you cut up credit cards. Or if you're, having, if you're struggling uh, with romance in your marriage, schedule date nights. You know, you do certain things to try to get a result in your life. Now, while these behaviors and these changes may be helpful on some level, they do not solve a problem at the heart level. Changing your behavior doesn't necessarily just change your heart. Now, um, 
for all the valid complaints about Facebook, they've done something recently that has changed my life. Um, and it's one thing that's just been a real godsend. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but they've been created a snooze for 30 days button. So if someone is on your, um, some of you are laughing because you, you've used it. Um, on, if it shows up in your feed and you can actually, you know, the button there on the right, or up in the top right corner, you click on that and there's some options. One of them is snooze this person for 30 days. For 30 days, that person will no longer show up on your feed. Um, and in recent weeks, I've snoozed a few people. Um, no one here, just in case you're wondering. No one is part of crazy. No, ironically, they're extended family members. Um, I just, uh, I just don't need the noise, you know. And so I, I, I snooze them. So they, they just disappeared. So as, as I'm scrolling through, you know, you know, a couple times a week when I go through it, I'm not having to just sift through all this noise. Um, and it's made such a huge difference in my overall emotions. I'm, uh, I'm no longer getting frustrated by all these misguided ideas or thoughts that are out there, or I'm not getting irritated and, you know, by just sometimes what I consider to be outright lies and deceptions and all this stuff out there. I just, I don't I'm not dealing with that um, as I'm going through it. And so on one level, the problem solved. No more noise. That behavior modification, hitting that button, um, putting, you know, putting on snooze for 30 days, a few individuals, it's, it's changed my life. And so in one sense, you can say, well, problem solved. You're good. But on another level, at a deeper level, nothing's changed. And what I mean by that is I never really dealt with the heart issues that are generating those emotions in the first place. My emotions were just the manifestations of something deeper within me. So the question is, what deeper issues might my emotions have been revealing? Was I getting frustrated or irritated by... Why was I getting frustrated or irritated by these other posts? Was it because I have this need, inherent need to clarify, you know, or to, to bring truth to a situation as I see it? Um, or was it my need to help others see things my way? My need to be right. Maybe it was fear that if bad ideas are out there, bad ideas, or I'm sorry, bad things will happen. And I'm not telling you what I came to conclusion with, but it's why that was. But those are all possibilities, and there could be a few more. But when you actually realize what is behind, why has this emotion been stirred up? Why am I angry? Why is, why is this so troublesome? You realize that you're holding on to something that you probably don't need to hold on to. Now, for you, it might be something very different. You know, sometimes I've heard people say, I just, I really struggle with worry or anxiety. And, and, I, and I realize for some, there's a lot of different reasons. So I don't want to generalize broadly, and I I'm certainly don't want to minimize. But so a behavior modification might say that, well, you just need to, it's a function of faith and trust. And so just recite Bible verses, you know, and that will help you not to be worried and anxious. And that, and that might be good too. But might it also reveal a need to control? You know, where every T has to be crossed and every I dotted when things aren't in control, you feel anxious and stressed and, and that's actually at the root of what you're feeling. Or, you know, for someone who might be a workaholic and, you know, uh, behavior modification would say, well, just, you know, 
shut your computer off at a certain time each day and don't bring your home, don't bring your work home with you. And, you know, there's certain things you can do to try and, and, and minimize that. But really, what's at the heart of your workaholicism? Is it materialism? Is, this, is it a need to accumulate wealth? Is it a need to accumulate power? Is it that you are a perfectionist and you have to get things perfect and have to, which causes you just to continue to work, work, work? What's actually driving us? Now, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these emotions. Just because you have that emotion doesn't mean that you're a bad person, you've done anything wrong. They're God-given emotions. But emotions are a reflection of something else, something deeper that's in our life. And when that something else becomes great, of greater value in our lives than God, then that thing has become an idol. Now, we have this image of God as, a, as kind and loving, which he is. Then why did he get so upset over idol worship? You know, a death penalty? You know, and, and it goes on to say that he's a jealous God. Now, we tend to equate jealousy as a negative trait. But yet God says, I'm jealous. I'm jealous over you when you leave. And these are behaviors and attitudes that don't necessarily seem to fit our notion of God until we get to Ezekiel 16. And that actually leads me to my final thought today. Idolatry is adultery. Ezekiel paints a pretty vivid picture of how God feels abandoned and betrayed by us when we turn our backs on him in pursuit of something else. When we give our lives to Jesus... It's not an open marriage. Now, the irony in all of this is that no one sets out to make these things an idol. No one says, wakes up and says, all right, I'm going to make this switch, and I'm going to change it up. And No, we pursue, pursue things because they give meaning, or they give purpose, <clears throat> or they give pleasure in life. And these are good things, and these aren't necessarily bad. But over time, if they're left unchecked, they begin to control what we do. And our lives are built around satisfying what has become an idol in our life. So, as we come to um, kind of the end of this today, of this kind of setting a little context, I actually want to leave you with four questions. Things, this is homework for you this week as you think about uh, things in your, your own life. So the first question is this. What disappoints you? Now, we all face disappointment. I mean, <laughs> any of us who have kids understand what that means. Or, or, if or if you have a spouse, we understand that. That people will disappoint us. Um, so that's, so, but disproportionate disappointment. Okay, so this is a little above and beyond. This is, this is disappointment that just doesn't go away. It just seems to cloud everything and that about your perspective regarding that person or that situation. But disproportionate disappointment reveals that we have placed intense hope and desire in something other than God. So that's the first question. What disappoints you? As you just think through your own life and what types of things disappoint you. Another question is this. What do you complain about the most? What we complain about reveals what really matters to us. 
Another way of asking of this is, what are hot button issues for you? Why might they be hot button issues? Why might these types of things really get you? The third question would be, where do you make financial sacrifices? The Bible tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So where do you find yourself making financial sacrifices? And we all make them for various reasons. And again, that's just normal life. But is there something in there that tends to predominate over others? And might that, if not already, might that be becoming God-like in your life? And lastly, the last question I want to leave you with is, where do you run for comfort? When you're hurting, when you need an escape, do we... Do we go to the TV, go shopping, food? What is it? Where do we run for comfort? So those four questions. What disappoints you? What do you complain about the most? Where do you make financial sacrifices? And where do you run for comfort? This week, I encourage you just in in your time and your reflection and your own quiet times, reflect on these and ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things in your life that might be idol-like. Maybe it's not an idol and, 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 you know, but maybe there is. Maybe there's something there that has become an idol and, and that's just something that the Holy Spirit would like to deal with you. Or maybe it's something that's not idol, it's not become an idol yet, but it's on the way. And maybe it's a time now to, to deal with that. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Again, idol worship is not something, honestly, in all my lives of ministry, I've never done a sermon series on idol worship. But the more as I've studied and read and the more as I reflect on my own life and the more as I talk to other people, I realize all of us have things in our life that tend, to, that tend to take dominance over other things. Certain things that, that, that affect us more, that affect us more deeply. Certain things that tend to predominate. And sometimes those are a little out of balance. Sometimes they're a lot out of balance, and sometimes they've become an idol in our life. And I just know in this day and age, especially as David shared earlier, this day and age, we need to be clear in our focus. We need to be clear on who it is we're worshiping who it is that we're giving our attention and to whom we've given our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that that you have chosen us. Lord, you didn't force us. You didn't make us do anything. You've given us a choice. Lord, when we have made that choice, and Lord, for those of us who have made that choice to follow you, to give our lives to you, to surrender to you, Lord, that, that's an action on our part that, that really does have significant consequences. And Lord, that's a relationship that you don't take lightly. And it's a relationship that is of vital importance to you. And Lord, I'm really, really glad that you feel so strongly about me that you actually have feelings of jealousy if, if my attention is elsewhere. Lord, that's such an amazing thing to know that we are affirmed in such a positive way, that you get jealous over us, 
that you get jealous over me. Father, my prayer is that if there's any here this morning that are feeling maybe left out and abandoned and they don't recognize the love of your love in their life, may just that reality of recognizing that you get jealous over them, may that change the way they think. May that change the way they feel about you. Father, then in this coming week and in the weeks ahead, as we continue to explore a little further, a little deeper in this issue, Father, uh, may we have open and receptive hearts, Lord, to what you might want to say to us that you would want to bring to our attention. Father, that we would not have any idols in our lives, but that our sole, worship, our sole focus of worship would be you. So, Father, and for those things, Lord, we, we give you thanks and honor and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.